Good evening to you. Welcome to Thinking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Babul Kiwonseki. And we are going to continue with our series, Lens Adjustment. Today we are doing part three of four. So we're only left with one episode to finish up this worldview um, series. Today we are looking at philosophical worldviews. So what we have covered so far is that we have covered um, attitude now. We have covered uh, another one. Um, and ideological. We have covered attitudinal worldviews and ideological worldviews. Today we are looking at philosophical worldviews. And basically there are four of them. Uh, but I'm going to give more attention to two that are common. Uh, we have article of realism, we have idealism, we have uh, positivism and interpretivism. So that's what we are going to look at today. Realism. Realism is uh, a kind of philosophical worldview that is more problem-centered and uh, when it comes to value, it, it, it's described as very neutral and the view there is that uh, reality has no absolute existence. And then idealism, which stands against realism, um, is more change-oriented or issue-oriented and um, the approach is that reality has no absolute existence. So that's basically the difference between these two. Now we are not going to talk about these two at length. This is only the only thing that you hear about them now. My interest today is on positivism and interpretivism. So that's what you are going to move on to right now. In the background is the sound of Enya. The song is one by one. Um, some great music right there. Now, what is positivism? Now, positivism is described as an objective philosophical worldview. Um, also, it has as its center empirical measurement and it is more concerned with the quantitative and therefore it is deductive in nature. The findings and the conclusions are more of a deductive nature than inductive so those are the key points about this philosophical world view that is called positivism now the assumption or the key tenet of this worldview is that all genuine knowledge all genuine knowledge is either positive and exclusively derived from experience of natural phenomena and their properties and relations or by or true by definition, that is analytic and tautological. What do you mean by tautological? Um, tautology is an assertion that is true in every possible interpretation. For example, my hair is either black or my hair is not black. Now, this is true regardless of the color of my hair. If I said my hair is either black or not black, it can be blonde, it can be red, it can be brown, it can be white. The statement is true regardless of the interpretation or regardless rather of the color of my hair. So basically that's that's what we mean by um, tautology. Um, so the view is that everything is true by definition that is an, um, analytic and tautological. Um, so that's the information uh, derived from sensory experience, the things that you see, that you can taste, the thing that you can hear and touch and smell 
as interpreted through reason and logic forms the exclusive source of all certain knowledge now have to ask yourself is that how you approach life is that the philosophy of your life that you only believe what you can see touch taste smell and hear only those things the things that you can experience by your five senses for you if that is the only source of all information or knowledge rather then you are strictly you are strictly subscribing to a positivism a world philosophical world view so in this world view verified data or positive facts received from the senses are known as empirical evidence thus positivism is based on empiricism what do you mean by uh, empirical evidence something that you can test and repeat over and over and gives you the same results i mean my hair is black i'm here in botswana they test the color of my hair is black i go to russia test it is uh, t- uh, test it is black I go to america they test it is black everywhere i go the, the color of my hair doesn't change they just run some tests like okay we conclude that this is bre- uh, black melanin that's in his hair therefore his hair is black something that can be tested over time and repeated you know many times in, under multiple um, 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 environments that's what we call that's an example of what we mean by empirical evidence so this kind of worldview philosophical worldview is based on empiricism now obviously we need that there's a place in life where you need empirical evidence for you to believe something for you to say no this is i'm sure that this is the case this thing has a place in your life but if it is the only philosophical view that you hold you don't blend it with others then you are going to have a problem with other things that we we'll discuss later on we're going to have problems with um what is right and what is wrong um issues of morality issues of sociology so those are the challenges that stand against a strict positivism kind of approach to life issues and when you look at uh, socio- sociological positivism it holds that society like the physical world operates according to general laws therefore introspective and intuitive knowledge is rejected just like metaphysics and theology because metaphysical and theological claims cannot be verified by sense experience so this is the challenge one who strictly abides by this world view then they logically cannot accept introspective and intuitive knowledge they cannot accept metaphysical or theological knowledge or claims rather why because those cannot be verified by sense experience that's the challenge with this kind of world view so in your world view in how you the philosophy that you hold you have to strike a balance are you strictly a positivism a kind of person 
I was strict positivist, positivist or this where you apply it and where it doesn't apply in your life. Let's just take a break and then we'll talk one we'll talk more about interpretivism, the one that I will close this episode with. Sounds of Enya Echoes in Rain. That's um, some interesting song right there. Welcome back from our break. We are looking at philosophical worldviews and we have talked a bit about positivism. And the last thing that we said about positivism is that um, when you apply it in a sociological setting, it then rejects what we call introspective or intuitive knowledge. Um, and does not uh, accept metaphysical and theological claims. Why? Because they cannot be verified by sense experience. When you look at intuitive and um, intuitive knowledge, introspective knowledge, they fall under the metaphysical and theological claims. So that's the shortfall or the shortcoming of positivism. If you are still positivist, then these things you basically have no explanation of them and therefore you reject them. Now we move on to interpretivism. Interpretivism um, stands against positivism. Um, now this is how it is described. It is described as subjective. I will basically uh, show what that means. And it is more based on gaining understanding. Therefore it is qualitative and as a result, it is inductive. Now, the key tenant or the fundamental claim or the fundamental uh, factor that drives this philosophical view is this, that the social realm cannot be studied with the scientific method of investigation that is applied to nature. Therefore, the investigation of the social realms or the social realm rather requires a different epistemology, a different philosophy or a philosophical approach. So fundamental to this epistemology is believed that the concepts and language that researchers use in their research shape their perceptions of the social world that they are investigating, the social way that they are studying and defining. So because values and beliefs of researchers cannot fully be removed from their inquiry, interpretivists believe research on human beings by human beings 
cannot yield objective results. And I think this makes sense. If I'm going to study a certain group of human beings, there's what we call a bias. I'm going to judge them by my standards, by my values. Therefore, the conclusion, the findings after the research is done are not going to be as objective as possible. They will be subjective always. The results will be subjective and not objective. Although I may claim that I was being objective, but the reality is that I'm not. And that's, that's the argument um, with interpretivists um, against positivism. Because positivism, positivism, what it does is that it applies what you call the empirical test um, on everything, even the social structure, social um, life and all that. So that is where the problem is. Therefore, interpretivists say that now when you get to this social aspect of human beings, you don't use the same method that you use when you're dealing with nature, with the natural world, that is. And now, which means that, which means that now going back to positivism, positivism does not accept or believe in miracles. So they don't believe in miracles, they don't believe in supernatural things because everything should be subjected to the natural law. Therefore, nature is the master of everything, the master of itself and the master of everything. There's no one or nothing above nature when you have when you you are a strict positivist as far as your philosophical worldview is concerned. Now interpretivists they will accept miracles and interpret that within um, the experience of a certain society. They will not say that okay. Because we are because this cannot be repeated anywhere, it is false. It, it will basically go into the experience of those who experienced it, um, try to understand how, how they experienced it, and come up with a a definition or a yeah, try to reach an understanding of that supernatural phenomena that a certain group of people or a certain person experienced. So rather than seeking an objective perspective, interpretivists look for meaning in the subjective experiences of individuals engaging in social interaction. Interpretivism is an inductive practice that is influenced by philosophical frameworks such as hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is basically um, the study and interpretation of written documents and also phenomenal, phenomenology um, basically the study of the structures of experiences and consciousness um, like phenomena and also symbolic interactionism so this is what or this is basically what uh, guides the interpretivist philosophy, philosophical worldview, hermeneutics, phenomenology, and symbolic interactionism.
and we have something that we call hermeneutics in Christianity and you also find it in other religions that tells you then that those religions Christianity for I'm a Christian it is more on the inter interpretivist um world view than the positivist worldview because within Christianity within religions there's talk of miracles there's talk of supernatural phenomena so studying all these things then will help one to understand the significance of such and also it allows for a being who's outside nature itself it allows for a being who is not subject to the laws of nature and therefore the way you approach things that the, the way you approach things that happen in your life that cannot be uh, explained by natural law uh, then will be guided by your beliefs as far as religion is concerned um your theology your intuition and so forth and so on so that's the main philosophical world you wanted to talk about positivism and interpretivism you need to know where to apply each one of them you need to know that not everything that you can see touch smell taste and hear is all that there is because there are many things that we don't understand that defy natural law but they affect our lives in a very real way in a very real manner tangible manner and it is it will be a tragedy for us to be willingly ignorant of such things and why they happen and how they happen and um how they affect our lives because if we are if we neglect um, if we are ignorant of that then not we will not be able to know how to na- navigate this life when all these things are happening we can get to a point where they drive us crazy where they drive us um to go berserk simply because our world views our philosophical world views do not allow us to get to a point whereby we acknowledge that these things they do happen and we have to respond to them in a certain way so friends that's it about today's episode go out there um, analyze what your philosophical world view is see which one applies in which situation but my encouragement is this have a proper balance have a proper blend of all this so that your life will make sense and whatever happens in your life it will make sense signing out is my name babuluki moseki here at thinking out loud podcast see you again next time next week same place we'll be talking about lens adjustment part 4 of 4 and then move on to the next 
the new season or we'll talk about something else just um be on the lookout for that peace Good evening to you. Welcome to Thinking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host Bobby Kimoseki. Thinking out loud, shaping your destiny. Happy Monday evening to you or our listeners. And now uh, we are back again with the fourth episode, which is the final episode of World Views. And today we are looking at Leah's World Views religious world views that's what we are going to discuss this evening so far we've talked about different worldviews or classes we've looked at um, the class of uh, philosophical worldview we've looked at the class of uh, attitudinal worldview and also a class of uh, ideological worldview. So these are the things that we have covered so far. And we are going to talk about a very interesting one. Religious worldviews. Now there are many ways of approaching this subject. What I will do is I will go with a much simpler way of approaching this subject of religious worldviews. Now religion... It's one of the things that divides people, greatly divides people. Um, people have fought because of religious differences that they have. So this is a very important thing to talk about because it affects how we live with each other. Our religious values affect how we live with each other. So... We are just about to go into it. Before we go into that one, um, let's take a song.
just for a few seconds to prepare us for the content. Thus Haydn with the heavens are telling the glory of God. The heavens are telling the glory of God. That's a very wonderful song right there. Um, taken from the book of Psalm chapter 19. That basically says the very same words that the heavens declare the glory of God. Now let's jump into let's jump into the worldviews, religious worldviews that we have out there. I'm not going to deal with three Approaches as far as religion is concerned or God's existence is concerned. I want to say religion. Um, I want to emphasize that what we are talking about here is God's existence. We're not going to look at the different religions that are out there and try to find which one is true or which one is not true. That is not what we're going to do here. Um, I think maybe we'll have another time where we deal with the subject uh, very broadly. But I just want to make a general um, observation a general discussion on the issue of God's existence, whether he exists or he does not exist. Now, there are three categories or main categories um, that challenge God's existence. I mean, I can talk of the fourth one, which is um, the, the one that a theistic approach atheistic approach that god exists i don't think that one needs any discussion I just look at the ones that oppose or that does not square up with um the belief that god exists or atheistic approach to religion number one we have the relativist um, relativist is one who basically says for me personally god exists but for other people he may not now, toward the end of this podcast, because toward the end of this episode, rather, we will look at why relativism or postmodernism cannot and does not work. But basically, a relativist says that, look, God, for me, he personally exists, but for others, he may not exist. And this is a faulty reasoning, just you know, to alert you on that one. Here's one number one. Either there is a God who actually exists, um, now whether we believe in him or not, it's not an issue. Or there is no God and never will be, no matter how much I want him to exist. So this leads us to the next point, which related much to the first point that I mentioned that you know, either God exists for everybody. And some don't realize it yet. Or God doesn't exist for anybody. And some are deluded into thinking God does exist. 
So it can be he exists for me, for others he does not exist. No, it's either he exists for us all or he doesn't exist for anybody. And then you have what you call the atheist approach to God's existence or to religion. What is an atheist? Someone who says there is no God, period. No God at all. But you know, for you to know that there is no God, you need certain qualifications. I want to give an example. When I say that there is no black dog in my house, I have to produce evidence. I have to produce proof that I've been in every room in my house. I've been even up to the ceiling, if possible, to check for the presence of a black dog. And there's none. So when I mention that there's no black dog in my house, it's a... a, a, a it's making a statement of fact. Stating a fact. And facts need to be supported. They have to square up with reality. When we check, will we find... A black dog in the house won't find it. Install the cameras, you monitor, no black dog appears. If several people entering all the rooms at the same time, no black dog there. Something that you can verify, you know. Something that you can produce evidence for, basically. You can produce either evidence or or proof. Sometimes evidence does suffice. You know, evidence, proof, basically uh, related, but uh, Proof is more like something that you don't have to add up. It's just there in front of you. Um, repeated. It can be repeated over and over again. It gives you the same results. But evidence is basically um, looking at the things that uh, point to what at the end can constitute as proof. Basically. I hope that I put that in a in an understandable manner understandable manner all right so an atheist says that there's no god but for you to know that there's no god you would have to be you do have to have the ability to be in every place at the same time and we call that omnipresence you should possess omnipresence in order for you to know that there's no god because maybe when you say that there's no god when I say that there is no God, I'm in my room and maybe it's outside the house or maybe it's in the next room. So he may not be there where I am, but he's in the next room. So for me to, to be absolutely certain that there is no God, I should have checked every place in the universe and come and say there is no God. Second point is this. One, you have to be omniscient. What do you mean by omniscience? We mean to possess all knowledge that there is. One has to know everything, past, present, future, to say that they are absolutely sure that God does not exist. That's point number two. Point number three. One, we have to be all-powerful. We have to be powerful above all or omnipotent. Why? Because 
someone might otherwise have the power to hide God from you. So if someone has power to hide God from you, it means that now God doesn't exist. It's just that someone is powerful enough to hide God from you so that you don't descend or see or understand that God exists. And now, a being who is omnipresent, who is omniscient and omnipotent is by definition God. Or God by definition is a being who is omnipresent, omniscient and omnipotent. So for you to, to say that there is no God, you should possess all these three attributes and possess if you possess these three attributes then you are proof that god exists so the very claim that god does not exist serves as proof that god exists um in a simple way and then there's the agnostic approach to god's existence an agonistic will say, look, we simply cannot know whether God exists. We cannot. We are incapable of knowing that God exists. Now, the assumption is this, that if God exists, then God would reveal himself to those that he has created, to the rest of the universe. I mean, God being omniscient, God being omnipresent, God being omnipotent. By definition, he should, or that being should, make themselves known. They should reveal themselves. The song by Haydn, the, the heavens are telling the glory of God, it basically shows, it basically says that, look, there is evidence that points to God's existence. And that is nature, creation itself. And the same argument that we use against an atheist is the same one that we apply when we approach an agnostic view to God's existence. Now, in order for you to know that it is impossible to know that God exists, you would have to be omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. And that shows that God exists because those are the attributes of God. And you can be sure, absolutely sure, that God does exist because His omnipresence, His omnipotence, His omniscience, they are attributes that are observable. These are things that are observable. So basically, when you look at all these arguments against God's existence, I mean, the last two one being the atheist view and the agnostic one, basically in the same category, you use the same argument against them. Now, the one that is of a relativist, we are going to deal with relativism just now, um, and we are going to show why relativism does not work and can never work. That's what we are moving into. Now, where does 
the relativist view come from? Um, it's based on Bun's law. Bun um, penned a law saying that all truth is relative to the perception of the individual. So when someone says to me, God does exist, but to the other person, he may not, that is all about perception. Now let's look at why or how yeah why relativism doesn't work. I'm just going to punch holes through this law that was penned by this man Ban. Um, let's take addition in mathematics. Mathematics or mathematical um, equations are not a matter for penal. I mean, when you do addition, when you do multiplication, when you do division, when you do subtraction, these are absolutes. They care less, they care nothing about our opinions. When you take 1 plus 1, it gives you 2. When you take 2 plus 2, it gives you 4, all the time. Wherever you are, even when you are in another place, another planet, another country, another continent, a different time zone, 1 plus 1 is always 2, and 2 plus 2 is always 4. So, Math gives you facts, not opinions. Math gives you truth, and truth deals with facts, not opinions. I was watching a video the other day on Facebook. I was just trying to communicate the absurdity of relativism. Um, if you want to go with that view of relativism, relativizing everything uh, that is out there. So in this video, this uh, math teacher... She marked a student wrong who gave an answer to 2 plus 2 being, uh, you know, to be 22. So he said, no, 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 it's not 22, it's 4. She took two markers and two other markers and said, I have two markers here and I have two other markers here. I bring them together. How many are they? The young boy said 22. The man said, no, 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 that is wrong. So he went home infuriated, told his parents. They came to the school. They reprimanded the teacher for... Making that child wrong because he was expressing himself in relation to the equation or to the question that was given. Escalated, went to uh, the newsrooms and even reached the school head who advised the teacher to apologize for making the student wrong to the answer he gave um, to this question of 2 plus 2. So, the teacher insisted that no, maths doesn't care about feelings. We cannot relativize math mathematics because it deals with facts. And facts are things that square up with reality, while opinions are things that square up with our feelings. Now, our feelings or our opinions color the way we see things, but. Facts remain facts nonetheless. Truth remains truth nonetheless. So now what this other lady, what this lady did is that um, she was called and the school head said, no, we are, we are going to um, lay you off. So she called her to come to the school. She went there and there were news reporters all over. They were capturing the moment. The dismissal of this teacher 
who is making students wrong for expressing their feelings. So the school here said, we owe you $2,000 for yesterday's work. So that is $2,000 and then we are going to give you for today as well $2,000. That um, makes $4,000. And the woman said, no, it's $22,000. And they were shocked. You could hear a pin drop in a capital floor. They were shocked because here it showed that the very same thing that they are dismissing her for which doesn't make sense. She pulled it on them. And what were they going to do now? They're going to say, no, no, no. Uh, it's 4,000. Which means that now they agree with her initial argument that 2 plus 2 is 4, not 22. So that just shows how absurd relativism is. And when we look at matters of morality, relativism doesn't work in morality either. I mean, you can be sincere. And still be wrong. You can be sincere and still be guilty or still be a lawbreaker. But you are sincere about it. And also, relativism doesn't work with religion, especially. It does not work with religion. Now, religions, they make truth claims. These claims may be true. They may be false. But they do attempt to describe reality as it actually is. And when religions contradict each other, it may be that one is right and others are wrong, but they cannot all be true. So this is it about religious worldviews. In your religion, well, let me put it this way. Do you ascribe to a relativist view or you are an absolute, absolute, absolutist? One who says, I mean, truth is absolute, it is not relative. Facts, they don't care about feelings, they don't care about opinions, or they are different from opinions, and facts reveal truth. They must be respected and accepted as truth. Weigh the evidence and see what the evidence leads to. That's what an absolutist will do. So, which one do you use? Which one do you follow? And which one navigates your religious, your religious view? Is it a relative approach or an absolutist uh, approach? I hope that you become objective in how you approach whatever religion that you are in. Even investigating and questioning its teachings and all that do that, that shows objectivity because you want to arrive at truth. Even if it does not agree with the previously, previously held beliefs and sentiments. That is the measure of a man. That is the measure of a woman. How much are they willing to do to find out what truth is? How objective do they want to be? 
you are going to be subjective know that you'll be far from arriving at truth thank you for joining us this four weeks we've been dealing with the issue of world views and today was the very last episode watch out for another um, topic next week we'll be looking at another subject that deals with our lives that deals with how we relate with one another that deals with our mental social uh, emotional development even spiritual issues Thinking out loud, shaping your destiny. Public Masiki is your host for this show, or was your host for this show. Meet you again next time, same place. Have a wonderful evening. Let's close off with Mozart Regina Quelle.